Hey folks, and welcome to episode 190 of the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm assistant to Peter Lightheart, the president of Theopolis Institute. Theopolis trains men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs will learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we have Peter Lightheart discussing the lectionary text for the third Sunday in Advent 2018. Before we get into the episode, we wanted to remind you that there is a free ebook for you by Alistair Roberts on the Book of Acts. All you have to do to get that ebook is sign up for our newsletter with the link in the description. Our newsletter in Medias Race is an email that we send out once a week, and it's a bit of a theological digest with videos, podcasts, articles, as well as upcoming events at Theopolis. We think you'll love it and be helped by it, so if it sounds like something you're interested in, use that link in the description to sign up. With that, we really hope that you enjoy and are sharpened by these observations on these texts. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the Theopolis Podcast. This is Peter Lightheart. Um, unfortunately, Alistair Roberts, a regular contributor to the podcast, is still talking to Tim Keller. Yes, it's been a week since the last podcast. And we haven't heard from him since. He's been with Tim Keller ever since we recorded the last podcast, even till the present moment. Um, it's actually only been about 20 minutes since he left us, but it does sound pretty dramatic that he got caught up into Keller world and, and left Theopolis for good. Um, I also want to note uh, something that you uh, may have noticed in the last podcast, the silence in the background of the podcast. You may have gotten used to, you may have actually become fond of hearing large trucks uh, rumble by in the background. You might be able to hear, you might have been able to hear the occasional emergency vehicle going by. Well, uh, we're no longer in the same location. Uh, we were recording the podcast for a long time at our uh, Theopolis facility uh, in West Homewood, Alabama. Uh, we moved out of that uh, facility a couple weeks ago over the course of the month of November in order to cut some costs and devote our funds elsewhere. And so we are uh, currently meeting and podcasting and doing other office, office-y kinds of things at uh, Trinity Presbyterian Church in Cahaba Heights uh, in near Birmingham. And uh, very, very grateful to Trinity Presbyterian Church for, the, uh, for letting us uh, set up here and to record here. Uh, but it is very quiet. And so if you, you're missing the, the semis and the emergency vehicles, uh, maybe you can find some, some uh, recording of uh, traffic noise and uh, put it on in the background as you listen to the podcast. If you want to combine those two sounds, that, uh, that might be a way to do it. Um, uh, this, uh, this week we're discussing the um, readings for the third Sunday in Advent in the year 2018, that's December 16th. And the readings for the third Sunday in Advent are Zephaniah 3, verses 14 through 20, the last, very last section of the prophecy of Zephaniah. The epistle reading is Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, a continuation of our reading and discussion of uh, Philippians. And then uh, the gospel reading is in Luke uh, chapter 7, verses 18 through 28. And again, of course, the Advent theme is the Lord's coming the variety of ways in which the Lord comes to his people, and the theme of the day of the Lord, which is very prominent in Zephaniah. Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets, one of the book of the twelve. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Bacchus, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. 
Zeph and I was in there somewhere. Uh, I used to have my kids do uh, minor prophet races to see who could recite the minor prophets most rapidly. And uh, we, we, had, we had some pretty good times. So Zephaniah is toward the end of the Minor Prophets, toward the end of the Book of the Twelve. And uh, if there's anything that uh, people know about Zephaniah, it's probably the fact that Zephaniah prophesies of the day of the Lord. Uh, there's a section at the end of chapter 1 uh, where he goes through a series of descriptions of the day of the Lord. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming very quickly, the day of the Lord. And then verse 15 of chapter 1 a day of wrath, a day of trouble, a day of destruction, a day of darkness, a day of clouds, a day of trumpet and battle cry. He's prophesying in the time of Josiah, and that's an interesting uh, historical connection because Zephaniah is predicting a great judgment coming on Judah uh, in the days of the reforming King Josiah. And so trying to fit, just trying to fit Ze Zephaniah's prophecy into the uh, reign of Josiah is an interesting puzzle that we can't can't finally uh, and uh, and uh, certainly decide where it fits. Possibly Zephaniah is prophesying prior to the beginning of the reforms of Josiah, and he's one of the Zephaniah's prophecy is one of the reasons for Josiah's uh, reforms and his uh, cleansing, pur purification of Israel's worship, purification of the temple. Uh, possibly it's that. Uh, if it's not. Uh, prior to, if it's during the reform or perhaps even after the reforms of Josiah, then we get a little window into the limits of Josiah's work and the limits of his reforming efforts. Uh, I think that's, we can't, again, we can't be certain about where Zephaniah fits in the reign of Josiah, but I think that's an interesting way to think about Zephaniah. Uh, Josiah goes through this great work of purging idols from the temple and uh, has this great celebration of Passover that includes both people from the north and people from Judah. Uh, he uh, reforms um, the, um, uh, the entire, and, and turns Judah back to the Lord, uh, recovenants with the Lord. Uh, and yet, the Kings tells us that after Josiah's reign, the Lord is still angry because of the idolatries of uh, his predecessor, Manasseh. Not his immediate predecessor, but one of his predecessors, Manasseh. Manasseh's sins and Manasseh's idolatries are still on the Lord's mind, even after Josiah. You think of just Zephaniah prophesying uh, about a, a doom that is still coming, even after the reforms of Josiah. Uh, then he's prophesying about the things that uh, remain unreformed, the things that have remained, uh, that have not been uh, taken care of, uh, because of uh, Josiah, for all of his uh, for all of his achievements, uh, wasn't able to wipe out the sins of Manasseh. Those are still going to be a basis for a coming judgment on Judah. So the day of the Lord is coming, Zephaniah said, says, it's a day that's going to bring a collapse and an unraveling of the whole creation. Uh, the book of Zephaniah begins with a description that kind of moves through the creation week. He's going to remove all things from the face of the earth, man and beast, birds of the sea, fish. It's unraveling. You're moving backwards through the, through the creation week. You're moving from day six to day five. Uh, he's, going to, he's going to cause the collapse of the universe and the purging of the land, it's kind of like a flood going back to the tohu vabohu, the formless and void that preceded. So that's the, that's the tone of things at the beginning of Zephaniah's prophecy. At the end of Zephaniah's prophecy, the tone is completely different. Instead of a day of gloom, instead of the Lord's coming be, being a, day, a time of uh, danger for Judah, it is a time of rejoicing. 
because, because the Lord is coming, Zion is supposed to shout for joy. The Lord uh, is coming to judge, but then he's going to take away the judgments. His, uh, his uh, wrath will be satisfied, uh, and then he will forgive uh, and uh, restore uh, Judah to himself. And uh, this is one of the, the last part of uh, Zephaniah is one of the loveliest prophecies in uh, among all the prophets, uh, not just the minor prophets, the 12, book of the Twelve, but it's one of the, the most uh, exalted prophecies that we have about the Lord's love for his people and the joy of uh, the restoration that he promises. Uh, the, uh, verse 16 of chapter 3, in that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, then Zephaniah has been talking about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's coming, the parousia of the Lord. But now the day that he's talking about is a day when Zion will not be afraid, her hands will not fall in, because the Lord will be in her midst as a victorious warrior, uh, shouting with joy and uh, rejoicing over his bride. Verse 17, a, a victorious warrior, he will exalt over you with joy, he will be quiet in his love, he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Also, he prophesies that, uh, Zephaniah prophesies that the Lord is going to deal with the oppressors. He's going to gather the lame and the outcasts, remove their shame, and they will be uh, the bride that he will exalt over. Um, the, the idea that the Lord is the husband of Israel is a, goes back at least to the Sinai covenant. We have a number of prophets who elaborate on that, usually negatively. They elaborate on that by talking about the unfaithfulness of uh, Judah or, or Israel. Ezekiel 16, Ezekiel 23, Jeremiah 3 all talk about the uh, or Jeremiah 2 or 3, I don't, I'm not remembering exactly where. Early in Jeremiah, let's say that. There's a uh, the prophecies about the unfaithfulness, the adulteries of Judah and Israel. Uh, but here we have a picture of the Lord's love, passionate love for his people. Uh, not a, uh, He's quiet in his love, but he's also exalting with joy. He shouts with joy uh, as, a, uh, as a warrior over Zion, his bride. That reference to the uh, lame and the outcast puts us forward to the gospel reading, which is in Luke 7. This is not part of the um, birth narrative of Luke. It's not part of the uh, early ministry of John the Baptist, as we've been looking at in other, uh, in other readings, gospel readings during Advent. This is instead a later episode. It has to do with John the Baptist and John's disciples, but it's later after Jesus has already begun his ministry and then John is put in prison. And while he's in prison, he sends some of his disciples to check with Jesus and ask Jesus if he's the one that they're expecting or should they be waiting for another. Uh, and Jesus' answer to that is to point them to uh, the, uh, the ways that he's fulfilling prophecies like Zephaniah 3. Jesus actually quotes from a couple of texts in uh, Isaiah. Go back and tell John what you see, that the Blind receive their sight, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Those are prophecies that uh, Isaiah um, uh, links with the coming of the servant of the Lord and uh, the restoration of Israel. The servant of the Lord is going to come and restore the broken body of, his, of, of the Lord's people. And Jesus says, go back and tell John what's going, what's happening. See that this is, tell him that this is, these are the things that I'm doing. And that'll be, then it'll, it'll be clear that this is the uh, fulfillment of these prophecies, that he is the one that they should be expecting. Uh, Jesus then goes on uh, in the further reading, 
the, the assigned reading is Luke 7, verses 18 through 28, but a suggested extension, verses 29 to 35. Jesus goes on to talk about John's ministry. Uh, and he, again, as he describes his own ministry in terms of a fulfillment of prophecy, a fulfillment of Isaiah in particular, so he also describes the ministry of John in terms of, of uh, Isaiah's prophecy. Verse 27, he quotes from Isaiah 40, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before me. But he also describes John as the greatest of the prophets, asked the people what were they going out to find when they went out into the, uh, went out into the wilderness. What they found was uh, John the Baptist, who is uh, more than a prophet. He's the messenger that's going before the face of the Lord. There is no one greater than John the Baptist, Jesus says. And yet, he ends this description of John's ministry by saying, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Uh, that's not a statement about uh, the effectiveness or the faithfulness of uh, John's ministry. It's not, a, it's not a criticism of John. That has to do rather with the, uh, with the movement of redemptive history. John is the conclusion, concluding, concluding prophet of the Old Covenant. Uh, he is the greatest of the Old Covenant prophets. There is no one greater than John who's been born of women. But now there's another coming. John comes baptizing with water, but there's one coming after him who's going to baptize with the Spirit and fire. And that's going, that's going to bring in a new age. This new prophet, this greater prophet, Jesus, is going to bring in a new age so that even those who are least in the kingdom are greater than John. They're in that elevated position because they are seeing the fulfillment that Jesus is talking about. Uh, the Philippians passage also, I think, fits with the with the Old Testament reading from Zephaniah. Zephaniah is talking about the the Lord's joy over His people, the Lord's passionate, exultant joy over His people, uh, and Paul is expressing his joy and exhorting the Philippians to rejoice uh, and to share in the joy of the Lord. Uh, the joy of the Lord is not just the joy that the Lord gives. Zephaniah shows us that the joy of the Lord is the joy that the Lord has, that the Lord expresses. I think Jesus himself says this when he, in the series of parables in Luke 15, the things that are lost and then found. And Jesus ends those with, by saying, I tell you, there is more joy in the presence of the angels uh, in one sinner who uh, repents uh, than, in, uh, uh, than in 99 righteous who need no repentance. Uh, who is rejoicing in the presence of the angels? That's not the joy of the angels that Jesus, that Jesus is describing. That's the joy of the Lord in the presence of the angels. Don't think the Lord is joyless. Don't think he's grim. Uh, don't think he's, he's emotionless, unmoved by his bride. As Zephaniah shows us otherwise, that he uh, loves his bride with a, with a passionate love. Uh, so when Paul urges the Philippians to rejoice and expresses his own joy, he's... Uh, talking about a gift that comes from God that is a participation in God's own joy. Rejoice in the Lord, he says. Again, I say rejoice. Uh, that, uh, again, I think we have to take that in a strong sense. We not only rejoice because of what the Lord has done, but we rejoice in union with the Lord. We rejoice because the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus is in us and fills us with the joy that Jesus himself has. I pointed out last time, uh, so, so, so long ago, uh, when I talked about uh, Philippians 1 uh, in, in the last podcast uh, about Paul's setting, the, the fact that he's in prison and 
uh, both rejoicing himself and also exhorting the Philippians to rejoice. Counterintuitively, this is an occasion for joy rather than an occasion for gloom. As in Philippians 1, uh, uh, the reason why Philippians 4 is, is an Advent uh, passage is because of the reference to the Lord's coming. Uh, Paul begins by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always, and then he says, Let your forbearing spirit be known along, among all men. The Lord is near. Paul is talking about the the coming of the, he talked about the coming of the day of Christ in Philippians 1. Here he talks about the Lord is near. This is one of multiple expressions. Virtually every writer of the New Testament in some way talks about uh, the, the, the near coming of the Lord. The Lord has come in his incarnation. The Lord is near to the early church. He's coming. He's coming in A.D. 70. He's coming to bring a conclusion to the Old Covenant and to usher in the fullness of the New Covenant. He's coming to judge but he's also coming to redeem and to glorify. And that's the, uh, that's the coming, that's the advent that Paul is speaking of. And that's an occasion for joy. The reason why the Philippians should rejoice is because the Lord is near. Um, go back, going back to Zephaniah, the day of the Lord is a day of distress, the day, a day of trouble, a day of devastation. It's also the day when the Lord comes to rejoice over his bride. And that's what Paul sees for those who cling to Jesus, for those who are a faithful bride. Um, the Lord's coming is an occasion for joy and thanksgiving. The reading uh, does not include verses 8 and 9, uh, but uh, I think that's we should uh, reflect on those verses. Technically, the reading ends with verse 7, which is kind of a benediction where Paul um, prays as a word that the peace of God would guard the hearts of the Philippians. But then he goes on to talk about what they should set their hearts and minds on. How does the peace of God guard our minds and hearts? Uh, ultimately, that's the Spirit. It's the Spirit's work. But the Spirit works by um, uh, through, uh, through our own uh, work, our own efforts, to occupy our hearts and minds with the kinds of things that Paul describes in verses 8 and 9. One of the ways that the peace of God guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus is when we dwell on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellent, worthy of praise. Uh, those are the, uh, when we're occupied with those things, we're occupied with the things of God, and the Spirit is at work in us to guard our hearts and minds, guard our hearts and minds against anxiety. Verse 6, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Uh, guard our hearts and minds against gloom. Uh, guard our hearts and minds so that we rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord's coming. We prepare for the Lord's coming by occupying ourselves and our hearts with the, with the things that Paul describes here. Uh, I think this is a, a rightly used by a lot of people who are thinking of uh, Christian worldview issues and thinking about uh, Christian engagement with culture. Uh, verse 8 is a, it's kind of a key text for a lot of writers in that vein. I think rightly so, because Paul has this expansive, expansive vision of what should occupy our hearts and minds. Um, whatever is true, um, that truth is ultimately in the God of truth, Jesus who is the truth, the spirit of truth. Uh, it's in the things that God has revealed to us. Uh, the truth of God is embodied in uh, faithfulness within in Christian living. 
But there are things that are true and there are things that are lovely and right and pure. Uh, that's not confined to uh, God or to what happens in the church or what, what Christians do. There are things that are true and lovely that we can occupy our minds with that are uh, outside the, the creation, cultural uh, beauties, cultural uh, thing, things that are honorable that, uh, that are produced culturally. Our minds dwell on those things. And that's part of the way, again, part of the way that the Lord guards our hearts and minds from anxiety and gloom uh, and keeps us ready for the Lord's coming. So uh, verse 8 can be a good uh, meditation for Advent. You're waiting for the Lord's waiting for the Lord's birth, to celebrate the Lord's birth at Christmas. And as you do, you want to uh, reflect on what it means to be prepared for the Lord's coming, what it, what it means to be prepared for the advent of the Lord. And the preparation is to let our minds dwell on these things, the things that Paul describes. Whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, whatever is ec excellent or worthy of praise, think on these things as you prepare for the Lord's coming. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.